Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Today, I'm speaking with Claudia Cusano, a writer and editor for the award-winning Nouveau magazine, Canada's authority on all things exceptional. I mean, the magazine continues to be, as, as we like to say, a lifestyle magazine for the Canadian, sophisticated. You know, food, wine, drink, travel, design. Nouveau combines style and purpose, celebrating excellence in Canada and around the world. Claudia develops and drives the editorial direction and content strategy of Nouveau, which was established by her father in 1998. I mean, at the time, it was very much about celebrating people and their craft, always putting Canadians first. And if you can get the heart of who the person is, more than so much what they do, readers will resonate with that. His journey from working on farms in Italy to making a new life for himself in Canada after the River Arno flooded Florence strongly influenced his vision and Claudia. His vision was to approach luxury from a place of style and appreciation as opposed to monetary value. When you come from a certain socioeconomic background, and my father being a farmer, he always understood the value of a dollar. And so as we were raised, that was one thing our parents instilled in us. After Claudia graduated from UBC in Canada with a degree in sociology, she traveled to Italy, taking time off to figure out her next steps. Beauty influences you in some way. And growing up here in Florence, as, as he did, very much influenced how he approached things. When her father called and asked if she would run his new company, she promptly hung up the phone. In 1999, she relented happily, joining her father first as a receptionist, working her way up to where she is now, curating and writing evocative, entertaining, and informative stories. There's lots of magazines out there. There's lots of, of outlets out there. And, you know, I'm looking for stories that aren't the ones that already are being told. At the end of the day, you need to be both evocative and entertaining, and also be informative in, in some way. Last year, Claudia and her husband and their two daughters reversed her father's journey, moving to Florence from Vancouver, Canada, for what was supposed to be only a one-year-long stay. Then COVID came and changed their plans. I remember I was actually on assignment in Rome, and my husband calls me and says, I just got a job offer, and... I also rented out her house. I just said, I guess we're moving. Entering her second year in Italy, Claudia still wakes up with anticipation each day, learning, observing, and soaking it all in. I'm so excited to share this conversation with all of you. Welcome, Claudia. 
It's so nice to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining me. I know how busy you are. And I've been following along your beautiful Instagram and all the beautiful (sighs) things that you post, including with the horses this week. That was really nice to see. How is it going there? You're in Florence. I'm in Florence. Like much of the world, we just are taking things day by day. Uh, The country has gone into its... I don't know, quarantine, lockdown, what word to use anymore. Um, Version number three until Easter, because Easter is a big, big holiday here, sometimes even bigger than Christmas. So it is what it is. Wow, yeah. How has that been, especially for your little ones? School is still in session, so that is all that is needed. It makes up a large part of their day. Right. That's great. Uh, Thankfully in Tuscany, and I don't know how, but just Florence itself um, is considered to be in what they call the orange zone. So there are restrictions, but not the strictest restrictions. Wow. Whereas pretty much in the rest of the country, kids are doing online learning again and have gone back to that. That's so challenging. It is. It's hard enough trying to keep yourself sort of in good spirits and it's a, it's, a, it's just an added challenge at least you have beautiful florence to yes. look at so i have to ask what are you looking at right now what is it like tell us we're living vicariously oh. through you i mean right now i i live or we live rather in an apartment in in the city center so it definitely oh. is small living In Vancouver, we have, you know, a single dwelling home, a backyard. um, And so you miss that. But there's so many other things that you you just can't believe are true. I mean, you you live in beauty when you live in Italy. You really do. I I know it sounds a bit cliched, but um, it is. Everywhere you look, you just see beauty in all things. And as an expat... At times, I feel as though Italians take that for granted. Well, you are there to remind them. (laughs) I'm sure every day it's a blessing. Now, do you have a morning ritual? (sighs) Yes, I do. I mean, sort of once the children are up and and out to school, I make myself a cafe latte. And I actually, depending, um, you know, how warm it is, will just sit on the terrace and read a book. Wow. And I do that religiously for one hour. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love to read, but I at night I was just spent. Right. So ever since I, I moved to Italy, I, in some way, I feel as though I have more time. Mm-hmm. Because people here don't seem to feel the need to pack so much into a day. Yes. But I don't feel any less productive in some odd way. Yes, I love that. I love that so much. Um, A woman I spoke with on the podcast is from Sweden, and I've heard this as well. Uh, North Americans uh, live to work, where Europeans more so work to live, Mm -hmm. right? So it's just this beautiful mentality. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm correct, your father's family immigrated from Florence to Canada in the 1960s. Yes. You have taken the reverse journey. And you've moved to his home country, living in Florence now. Well, my father left after the flood in Florence. He was a farmer. 
and so there just was no work. So as many immigrants fled Italy in you know post post Second World War, uh, he was one of them, mm-hmm. and immigrated to Vancouver. Now, being Italian, in the sense that culturally. I come from an Italian family, has always been a big part of me growing up. But I was born in Canada. Um, You know, English is my first language and and what we spoke at home. And I had the privilege of visiting Florence every once in a while. But it was never thought that eventually that we would come here. Then my, my husband is an educator, and it was always a dream of his, really, to, to go to Italy for one year. Wow. And as I think many of us do, we put obstacles in our way because change sometimes is scary. I had a life set up in Vancouver. Everything was great. And I was thinking, you know, just the thought in my mid-40s, it's a big change, even though my father's from here. It's the world was a different place in the 1960s. Right. And I remember I was actually on assignment in Rome, and my husband calls me and says, I just got a job offer, and I also rented out our house. Oh my God. In the same day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What was going through your head then? I just said, I guess we're moving, you know. Wow. At that point said everything sort of on the list of things that needed to happen Mm -hmm. happened. And we packed up, put a lot of our stuff in storage, rented our home and said, okay, we'll do this for one year. Right. And we found an apartment, came to Florence and immediately fell in love. Within three weeks of being here, my children said, mama. Italians really love kids, and they also always wear sunglasses, daytime, nighttime, inside (laughs) and outside. Oh my gosh, such a cute observation. And it was to be one year, and then COVID hit, Mm -hmm. and the plan was to sort of go back and forth as, as much as possible with the magazine. We had already set up weekly call-ins and so forth and digitized as much as we could pre-COVID. So once COVID happened, it was just that I no longer could do the back and forth um, as I had intended. And then one year has now turned into the second year and things, you know, seem to be working out. At the end of the day, I mean, I am Canadian and I never really appreciated my Canadian passport as much as my time now living here in Italy. Um, Because even though I speak Italian fluently, I do have a bit of an accent. And everyone always asks, where are you from? And I say Canada. And their eyes and face light up. It's almost like, what are you doing here when you come from such a beautiful country? Because for a lot of people, Canada is a fairy tale dream. Yes. Canada is a wonderful country. Claudia, your father started Nouveau in 1998. When did you get involved? I got involved the year after, 1999. I remember I happened to be in Italy, and he called and he said, I have plans of starting a magazine, and 
I want you to run it. I had just finished um, a degree at, at UBC and I was unsure as to if I wanted to get a second degree or really what I wanted to do. I think when you get a de my degrees in sociology and when you get a degree in the arts, there's so many ways you can go. Yes. And, and I said to him, you're crazy. I'm not <laughs> coming back. And I hung up the phone. Right. <laughs> but as I think perhaps most parents do, they may have the master plan that we don't know about as children. And I, yeah, I started as the receptionist and I was answering the phone. And there was the gentleman at the time, you know, the staff was there. There was a founding editor and publisher and all of that. And hmm. we just really learned as each day passed. When your father started Nouveau, it was filling a gap in the Canadian market, an appreciation for the finer things, quality and beauty, style and purpose. Did he ever open up about experiencing a culture shock moving to Canada? And how did that influence the magazine and also how you were raised? I mean, I think in the way how we were raised was when you come from a certain socioeconomic background, and my father being a farmer, it was tending the land for a noble family here in Florence. He always understood the value of a dollar. And so as we were raised, that was one thing our parents instilled in us. Now, he had much success in, in North America, and he always taught us that if you kind of put your feet forward, it might not always be the right step, but you will be able to make it. And by make it means in whichever which way, it does not necessarily mean in terms of making money. And that really influenced, um, you know, sowing the seeds as, as a farmer usually does, influenced the way we, way we grew up. I think... You have a knack for appreciating certain things in life. Beauty influences you in some way. And growing up here in Florence, as, as he did, very much influenced how he approached things. Right. Uh, it was never about the end game, but more about the process. Mm -hmm. So when he started Nouveau, as any entrepreneur does, you do want it to exceed from a fiscal standpoint. But he was in the position that if it didn't, it was okay. And so his approach to luxury in the sense that it coming from a place of style and appreciation as opposed to monetary was really the driving factor. I mean, his principle was, and, and today, over 20 years later, of course, there's been an evolution in terms of um, journalism itself, but that still precedes. I mean, at the time, it was very much about celebrating people and their craft, mm -hmm. um, always putting Canadians first. Our very first cover was Angela Hewitt who is a celebrated pianist um, and how the world works in circles. She now has a music festival here in Italy, which um, I have gone to. And to think back that she was Nouveau's very first cover wow. is very, very Did you meet her? Did you tell her who you are? Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh, that's yes. so nice. So how, how do you choose the stories you publish today? I mean, the magazine continues to be 
as, as we like to say, a lifestyle magazine for the Canadian uh, sophisticated. So while we do have our pillars of, of editorial of what one thinks a lifestyle is, which tend to be, you know, food, wine, drink, travel, um, design, architecture, style. At the end of the day, you need to be both, I think, evocative and entertaining and also be informative in, in some way when it comes to your stories. Now, once we've, re, you know, kind of filled those pillars, people love reading about people. Human interest profiles. Um, and if you can get the heart of to what, who the person is, more than so much what they do, readers will resonate with that because we're all emotional beings. Um, and so while we continue to celebrate Canada when it comes to, to our stories, um, we're also looking beyond the Canadian borders. And, you know, I'm looking for stories that not so much are off the beaten path, but perhaps aren't the ones that already are being told. There's lots mm -hmm. of magazines out there. There's lots of, of outlets out there where especially nowadays, people are inhaling information. Yes. You know, in almost as a catch-as-catch-can fashion. Mm -hmm. um, from whatever screen or, or mediums that, that they, can, they can get to. Um, and we're not there to try and compete with that because there are others out there that are much larger in terms of reach and in our own way we like to continue to celebrate the Canadians that that are making a difference in their own way mm -hmm. it could even be from making a great espresso yes um to the obvious luxurious items yes uh, nouveau essays are always with purpose and thought-provoking and I've loved reading the magazine how would you say over the years the magazine's editorial direction has evolved and what role have you played in this and why is that important to you? I think the magazine has evolved the most with the evolution of digital technologies. So when Nouveau began, it was a print publication. We came out four times a year. There was not even a website at that time because this was the 90s. Right. So people would wait for that magazine wow. to come. Oh, the, the times better than now in a way, you know, everyone just wants things so fast now. And as much as people still love the written word, how people consumed that changed Yes. with digital. Our storylines changed in the sense where once you are on digital, everything is trackable. And once everything is trackable, everyone wants performance. And the performance-driving stories are what we call our pimple-popping stories. I remember being on an assignment once, and an editor from a highly influential American-based magazine said, yes, we need to have our pimple 
popping stories, which was actually videos of people popping pimples. Oh, wow. That would generate the clicks. Right. That would never appear on the homepage or anything like that. And um, then you would have your cultural art stories that perhaps, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't drive the traffic, but were the purpose of that entity. So to go back to your question of how stories have shifted, I feel that media has become multi-pronged because the entity that you are and what your purpose is meant to be is your artful, thought-out content that you labor at, uh, make sure that your stories you know, have the things that I like to say to all our writers, you need to have access narrative arc, you know, friction and some type of disclosure, along with photographs that need to be very much visually arresting um, to reveal certain truths about your subjects um, in that image. And then you also have your stories for online that tend to be a little bit more pedestrian. Right. Um, and, And I don't mean any negativity in that. But it's a mix of having lowest common denominator stories in terms of making sure headlines are a certain way and that you're populating the machine for SEO and continuing on with your long-form journalism. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see more of the evolution and combining the old world, if, if I could say, of print and this new world of, of digital and having them come together, sort of like siblings. Yes. In the fact where, <laughs> you know, you're part of the same family, but each of you has your own personality. Yes. It sounds like this combination of the old world and the new world is almost how you manage to stay inspired and fresh while still focusing on quality and longevity. So how do you think, just to push it further, you achieve that balance? You have to recognize that there is a difference between reading and search and find Mm. and understanding that you need both, but they are different things. And so when it comes to selecting stories, saying yes to certain stories, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the way the world works is is we do get pitched quite a bit, but there's also certain storylines that that, that we go after. Um, Having a combination of both and making sure, you know, we have our sort of rubric of of what we want our editorial mandate uh, to be each issue and making sure that we have all the sectors of the magazine um, filled in the sense that we have the storylines that we want to put forward. Whether we feel they're going to be clickbait or not, that does not influence the decision when it comes Mm -hmm. to editorial. Um, We can do that because we are old-fashioned journalism in that we have no sponsored content. So we don't get paid for any of our stories or or anything like that. Mm. Um, So there is a lot of autonomy on our part in deciding what we want to do and how we want to do it. Mm. Um, There aren't many that 
continue with that model. Mm -hmm. But in this way, we always retain ownership of our stories in the sense that we're not um, bound to have to include anything or say anything in any particular manner. Wow, that must be very freeing. How did Nouveau achieve that? Well, there was plenty of, and continue to be plenty of discussions because there is a lot of revenue that we say no to. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to say no when brands are saying they have X number of dollars for you to write a story about them. You know, and I will tip my hat to my father in that, you know, he stands by all sponsored content is a form of promotion and promotions always have a beginning and an end it's the sale model i'm putting something on sale today and in one week from now it's no longer going to be on sale it's a promotion so using covid as as a great example the sponsored content promotion pretty much died during COVID because brands no longer had money to promote their product. So if you look at the media landscape now, storylines have shifted as a result of necessity. I guess in some way his stubbornness, the only time he's put his foot into editorial and said, we are not doing any sponsored content. And so long as we break even, because you don't go into publishing as a a moneymaker, there's no need to do sponsored content. Yes. Lots of pressures though. Um, it's it's hard to walk away from from money. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Your father is a very smart man. How did Nouveau handle March 2020? So with racial inequity, COVID, divisive politics being front and center, and almost travel coming to an abrupt halt and luxury taking a back seat. Well, we made the difficult decision of not printing our summer issue. So in March, you know, North Canada was about three weeks behind Italy in terms of right. uh, closing down. Yes. Uh, we, you know, we got on the phone and, and we talked about it and we thought, you know, what message will it send if, if we don't print an issue? Mm-hmm. And, and we just decided we would take the risk of not moving forward with printing an issue and putting all of our efforts online. Things were just changing so quickly. It was hard to keep up. And when you're producing a magazine, as an editor, you you need to kind of predict what you're going to be feeling in the future. Yes. In March, no one, I don't think, knew what they were going to be feeling tomorrow Mm -hmm. or the next day. Um, so, so we shifted and and we went, you know, completely 100% digital. Our storylines shifted in in some way. Mm -hmm. We started to do COVID content. Um, politically, we have never really gone the political route when it, when it comes to stories. For racial inequality, I'm a strong believer that, that we have always, you know, made sure that we have been reflective of the Canadian population. We are very much a multicultural country. And while we too, Canada, have, has, has problems uh, when it comes to racial inequalities, I feel that we are better than a lot of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, even before 2020, I mean, I, I think Errolson Hugh was, or, or Zadie Smith, for, for a few issues, we had um, 
you know, an African-American woman. Then we had Arielson Smith, who is Jamaican and um, Canadian, now living in Germany. So even if I go back farther, well before uh, BLM and and now, you know, all that's sadly happening in the world with, with Asian descent, um, you know, we, we were celebrating Canadians. Now, could we do better? Of course we could. Um, and, and we continue to to highlight the indigenous population within Canada and and all the visual minorities. So it was just a matter of, of going back to March 2020, being on constant phone calls with the team. Mm-hmm. Where should we go? We decided to do a poetry series mm-hmm. for a print publication and asking some prominent um, Canadian poets, uh, you know, to, to pen a poem as to how they were feeling, and and that resonated quite well. But other than that, that would I I would say was our, our major sort of focus shift on on an emotional level, mm-hmm. um, because we were all feeling the same feelings. Do you think living in Italy was almost an advantage when you had to make that call because? Italy did experience COVID in a way before um, Canadians. Yes and no. Part of me was hoping that it would never yeah. get yeah. to North America. And so I felt making that call at the time wasn't the right decision mm-hmm. in the sense that it could have been overreacting. Right. But looking back, it, I, I, it was the right decision, but... I wouldn't have known that then. I mean, no one saw this coming, right? Understatement of the century. This almost Mm -hmm. reminds me of something I read in one of your editorials. I think it was last autumn. I think you said, uh, much like Italian food, life should be simple with (laughs) with few good ingredients and easily improvised, right? That really resonates now. Very much so. I've taken that to be my my life, life motto. Yeah. It's, it's a good one. It's hard to do, but I find it's it, it, it's freeing in some way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What is your favorite beat to cover in Nouveau? I enjoy speaking with people. Okay. Amazing. Um, and so when I am able to sit down with someone and I guess interview them and, and have a conversation, those are the stories that I enjoy writing the most. Right. Now, it could be someone in the sector of food. It could be, I don't know why a polo player is coming to mind because I did an interview once of a polo player and I knew nothing about polo. I mean, nothing. I didn't know the language. The game was just so foreign to me and it was a difficult story to write because I had to do a lot of research. But ultimately, I feel if I have the chance to speak to someone in their environment and spend time with them. Those are the stories I enjoy writing the most Mm. because I feel like you're communicating their story and sector that I, I really don't enjoy writing about, although I love to do it is to write about food and eating. You write so beautifully about food. (sighs) I was reading your chocolate risotto for Valentine's day. I'm like, I have to ask you about this. Thank you. Um, but I find it difficult right. to, to write about food. Um, of course, you shouldn't, but I feel that 
people self-edit when they write. You should write mm-hmm. and then go back and edit. Um, and although it's something that I preach all the time, it's not something that I've mastered. And um, I find with food writing, the impulse is to always insert a lot of adjectives in your writing. And I don't want to tell people how it tastes or everything. I want to use words without using adjectives so that they almost taste it in their own mouth on the account of reading the story. And that's why I find food writing to be very difficult. I mean, I have always been very envious of writers. So between you and me, I struggled with writing growing up and reading as a kid. So now I have this great interest in writers and journalists. Even listening to you and speaking with you in this conversation, I'm like, I could talk to you all day long listening about your writing and listening about what inspires you and how you pick stories. It's such a skill that you're either born with or you're not. I mean, we're all born with some innate talents. But I feel that writing is very much like a muscle. The more you work at it, the better you get at it. People think it's easy. And I think one time I was asked to make a speech at a wedding. And I, I, you know, made my speech at the wedding. And I went back and and they were like, oh, congratulations, that was very well done. Oh, but that must come easy to you because you're a writer. (laughs) And the person who said it to me, was a doctor okay and and then I looked at him and I said oh right but yeah that's right you know doing open heart surgery must come easy to you because you're a doctor now that wasn't the kindest thing to say and I should have probably taken taken a few seconds to just breathe and perhaps be a bit more polite but it is something that um you, you just need to practice. And I think what happens is we want it to sound perfect mm-hmm. once we type it out or write it out. And it's impossible for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read the book um, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. I have not, but I will, okay. I will now. <laughs> it's, it is, it's an old book from, I don't know, from the 90s. And, and she was the restaurant critic back in the time when there were restaurant critics for the San Francisco Chronicle. And, you know, there's something that stuck with me. And she says, every week I'd, I'd sit in front of my computer and it was a blank page. And she'd just be like, I take a deep breath and kind of start crying and saying, where am I going to start? Mm. And this is this, you know, revered restaurant critic. Wow. And it just does take practice. And if we can somehow get the words out on paper, like when a child has a tantrum, it just comes out. It might not make any sense, but it just comes out. That's what it needs to do. And then when you go back and keep going back and you edit it, that's where you make it into what you believe to be the best that it can be mm-hmm. but it's the best that it can be today because when you go back and read it tomorrow or once it's published or something like that there's likely you're going to go back and say I wish I did this and I wish I did that 
that you yourself as a writer have evolved, even if it is just one week from the time you posted that or by the, the time you submit that. And so you looking back and saying, I wish I would have done that, means you yourself have, have perhaps gotten just a little bit better. I really like that. And you had mentioned that when your father, you know, wanted to get into this world and start Nouveau, it wasn't necessarily something that you saw yourself in at that time. Do you think you were born with this or it's something that you came to love later? I came to love it later. Right. When I was 99 and sort of first, and I remember, you know, at the time there, there weren't really general titles as they are now. When you look on a masthead, you'll see a senior editor, associate editor, and so forth and so forth. There tended to be more specific. There was a fashion editor. There was a watch editor. There was, you know, menswear editor. Just, just mastheads were, were much more robust, and there was a lot more personnel. And so I, I was in the hiring process of, of hiring staff. And, you know, one question they would look at me, and, and they'd be like, well, why are you hiring me? Why aren't you doing this? And I'm thinking, no, no, this is not... Um, you know, something for me and that I'm interested in doing. And I very much came to appreciate it later. But I think it's also because it was that family dynamic of a child wanting to be independent Mm -hmm. of of their parents. Um, So it wasn't that I didn't like it yes but you wanted to find your own path maybe exactly so interesting why do you think the topic of mentoring other women is so important and more relevant now than ever oh I mean this is something that I ask myself every day as a mother of two girls Mm -hmm. I think the word even mentorship itself poses a bit of an issue in the sense that I think it will continue to be difficult for women uh, throughout however long the world goes on. I think there are many strides that have been made, but the system is a patriarchal system. And perhaps I'm, you know, even these words that I'm using are influenced by me now spending my time in Italy. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have even said that living in Canada. Not to say that I didn't believe it, but most of the world is so, the system is so traditionally patriarchal um, that I'm not quite sure how it will change. Yeah. I have hopes that it will. And, you know, as I said, things have evolved, but not at the speed mm-hmm. yeah. that I would want it to personally. And I think many others would want to. Yes. So when it comes to mentoring, what I, you know, to do with others or even my own daughters is using certain language, not using certain words. And also just really, really harping on independence yes. um, and trying to show them um, how important it is to be independent. Um, That's really beautiful. I chose to work in quotation marks, I'm doing air <laughs> quotation marks, um, 
outside of the home because as a parent, that is work. Um, because I wanted to kind of give them an example because as parents, we're, we're you know, they're, they're first teachers, um, that if they choose, it's okay, you know, to go um, out to work if you have to travel for work as, as a single female. And there's certain things that you need to be aware of. So I, I don't know. It's, especially Italy is just so traditionally patriarchal that there's certain things that I, I still cannot believe mm. that I'm, that's said to me or <laughs> right. that I shake my head and I'm thinking, yes, yeah. I know Italian men are known to be chivalrous, but that's just not right. <laughs> wow. Um, well, where would you like to see women's voices amplified or more mm -hmm. women represented, especially at Nouveau? Well, I mean, in terms of her staff, we are predominantly female staff. Um, our, the editorial makeup is, uh, I would say, 80% women, 20% mm -hmm. men. So from that perspective, uh, you know, we are definitely having the female voice heard. Now, when it comes to contributors uh, that we work with, it really goes comes down to who's pitching us the better story. We never really look mm -hmm. at, at the byline. You know, are they male or female women? Mm -hmm. Is that something that happened organically? Or is that something that you made a conscious effort to do? It definitely happened organically. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we have a Canadian female director in our upcoming uh, summer issue that's going oh. to be um, come up. Excited. And this is where sometimes I feel she asked specifically that we not focus on the fact that she's a female director in an arena that's dominated by men, yep. which I thought was very interesting. She goes, I want to be celebrated as being a good, great, you know, insert whatever adjective you want, director, and not a female director. And this is where I feel it's difficult when it comes to celebrating women's voices because there's many different camps. And so as a female myself, what are we celebrating? What should we be celebrating? What does this, the talent that we are profiling mm -hmm. want us to be celebrating? And I feel that in some ways it's almost become more complicated. Yeah. I remember the MoMA back in the 60s was having a, uh, an art exhibition celebrating female artists. And they asked Georgia O'Keeffe to give some art. And once she knew that it was only female artists, she actually said no. Because, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but she said once you have um, an art show that you feel my work will complement, that is not based on me being a woman, yeah. call me. And there's a lot of respect in that. Yes, very much. But at the same time, how do we yes. continue to amplify women's voices? Yeah. 
it's challenging because I think I'm independent too and, and I understand and respect those voices and those perspectives. But at the same time, little girls all over the world need to know that that can be them one day. And I think by saying woman chef or woman artist, I've had actually a message sent to me by a famous, it was in Israel and this was she was an amazing chef and, and I tagged her in something and she just said, please don't refer to me as woman chef. You know, I respected it completely. Um, but I did give thought to that. And I said to myself, you know, I personally think that in this world where maybe I don't have the statistic in front of me where a stack of applicants for a job, there might be four to one, you know, because of several reasons why women women wouldn't make the pile or put themselves into the pile. I think it's important that they are highlighted and young girls around the world can have that representation, you know, and feel inspired and empowered. So I, I definitely agree and see uh, with both sides um and it is very challenging personally i never felt that there wasn't anything i wouldn't be able to do mm -hmm. so yeah. i've always um had that drive in me yes but in cer certain circumstances i very much have felt a woman um, and sort of in the world of publishing, there are certain domain, domains, be it in automotive writing or writing about watches, which continue to be uh, primarily boys' clubs. Not so much old boys' clubs, but the old is no longer, but the boys' clubs still exist. Um, you do, you are meant. You know, you being a woman is very much uh, an issue. Um, and it's come to be both a, a positive and a negative thing. It's happened to me personally. So it, it's very difficult to, to kind of figure out what we should do. But on the flip side, I remember years ago, we used to um, have an internship program. Sadly... We have it now for a while. And it was um, very much helping with the receptionist role. And when I called um, the, the gentleman for an interview, you know, the first thing he says is, I'm surprised to, 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 to get the phone call. And I, I said, why? Hmm. And he says, because I'm a male. Yeah. And I, I was taken aback. And I was really taken aback. Wow. This is probably over 10 years ago. And I said, I honestly don't even really look at the name. And I'm not just saying that. And then he, you know, had a, a great skill set and, and was with the magazine for years. And, and he worked his way up. But uh, it's always stayed with me. How do you react? You had said in Italy or with actually at the wedding, you said I maybe should have count, counted or, or thought twice. But in these situations, how do you manage comments that might irritate you as a leader? You know, do you have a, 
a technique that you use that you can share with us? <laughs> I wish I could say I did. Sometimes my spontaneity gets the better of me and I perhaps regret. I think as you get older, in my 20s, when, it, when things were said to me like that, I just snapped right back. Right. Um, yeah. But I think that's normal. And I think that as you get older, you just take a pause and in my mind, I just say, don't say anything you're going to regret. How many, how many seconds is that? Yeah. Five. Right. Um, and, and I can do that now. That's a nice, that's and a nice one. That's control. <laughs> I like that I'm going to use that. Don't say anything you'll regret. Control. And then it's about how you deliver it. Yes. I've become very good in my delivery. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's very important. My mother actually wrote, um, is an author, and she wrote a book, It's All in the Delivery. Oh, I'll have to read it. I will. I would love to send you a copy. That's very important, the delivery. It's not easy, though, because we all get caught up in the moment. And, you know, I, I have some things that are said to me that have been saying, been saying to me for 20 years. The only thing that's changed is my reaction to it. Okay. So to wind down the chat, I need to ask you about your favorite wines in Italy. I mean, just reading mm. about the risotto and just everything in Italy. I mean, what do you think make, makes Italy so special? You know, why have there been so many designers and artists from Italy? It's the beauty of the subconscious, I think. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of things. I, I don't believe there to be just any one thing. It's the people, it's the vivacity, food, art, there's just so much. There's plus, 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 and it all adds up to, I think, very much a humanistic culture that really just makes it good for the soul. I mean, there's hardship here. There's, you know, the average salary is below poverty line, Canadian standards. Um, and, you know, this is just the average person. From a, you know, middle class, North American comes to Italy and you've just gone up a few notches in terms of what you can afford, even when you do the Canadian dollar versus the euro, just because the cost of life here is, is different. But even, even that aside, they learn intrinsically that life is just about relationships and, and communication. Um, you wake up to anticipation each morning. What is, what, you know, even me, what is going to happen today? Am I going to see some scene on my way to the market to pick up groceries of just two people having a conversation? Um, and are my eyes going to feast in joy of just the way that the people dress? Um, what, what sounds am I going to be hearing? I mean, we're all sensorial beings. And, and at the end of the day, we take everything in. Um, I truly believe that's what it is uh, that has created so much of this greatness in Italy. I believe, though, there has been a bit of a, a denouement in terms of the creatives that are coming out of this country, only because um, the harsh reality is unemployment is extremely high. There is not much opportunity for young people here. So they tend to go out west. 
they're kind of the creative careers are being created somewhere else. They all end up coming back here later on in life just because of the way one lives. But they aren't creating their career path here. Mm. Difficult. But there are so many greats that have come here in, in all yes. in all sectors of life. Um, yes. I don't know. When it comes to wines, to, to go back to, there's, there's I've, I keep learning every day about, about some wine. Um, I'm sure you get it, this it's... question so much, you and your husband, but I, I mean, I couldn't not ask. I've been thinking about it all week. Have you perfected any dishes during the COVID lockdowns, maybe for the girls? Or your husband, maybe he's more of a cook. I know my father's more of a cook. We have. We've done a lot of cooking, and we used to do quite a bit of cooking, um, even in Vancouver. We just love to host. and So if the doorbell rang, we knew that it wasn't somebody that really knew us really well. Right. If not, people would always be coming over because we were always cooking. What a fun house. Um, I'm coming over yeah, for it's dinner. Fun. <laughs> sure, definitely. In Italy... Recipes don't exist in the sense yeah. that it's always a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There are no cookbooks. Um, whereas I feel, and, and this kind of you know, goes back to writing, I feel in, 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 in Vancouver, everyone's so concerned about the process in, in the sense that do I have that exact amount of ingredient um, you know, and what 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 is um, what order do I need to to put it in? Much like the people here, cooking is not rule based. Wow, I love how you put that. Not rule based. Yes. Now you start with the simplest ingredients. Cook with tomatoes in the spring and summer when they're in season. If not, don't use them. Mm-hmm. In, in winter cooking. Um, seasonal isn't a trend here. It's just a way of being. I remember when I first got here, I was making a roasted red pepper sauce that my daughter likes and we need a little bit of, of basil. And it was November. And I just went to, um, just at my door, there's an ortolayo, which would be like a produce vendor. And he said, Signora, he says, it's November. There's no basil in November. And I said, right, excuse me, I'm sorry, I come from Canada. Um, you know, we, we have everything all throughout the year. Um, and so I couldn't even find it. Um, so it, it is just about improvising. It may not always come out to what you believe to be perfection, but it will definitely be edible because you have started with great ingredients. Okay, this might be my new mantra. Not just for cooking, for life. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It really, now that I'm thinking about it and you, you've asked me, it really comes down to the people. I mean, they don't really make plans in the sense other than you know what time you're going to get together and where, but there's no other plans because then you're just going to go with the flow um, in everything that they do. That's exactly the way it is. You don't use websites. If you want to know what time something opens or not, don't go on the website. It's best you call. Everything here is call-based. And even when it comes to messaging via WhatsApp, people don't text it out. They send you a voice message. 
because it's more personable and there's that relationship factor. Because if I hear their voice and then they hear my voice, it's much better than sending a text message. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really feel like I'm right in Italy with you. <laughs> we'll have to do it again. Something specific to Florence and we can have you over for, for, for a meal. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Thank you, Chelsea. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this special interview with Claudia. Visit NouveauMagazine.com to immerse yourself into all things exceptional with Nouveau. Please join me back here in two weeks when I sit down with Carlin Persil, CEO of KDPM Consulting Group and Certified Emotional Intelligence and Neuro Life Coach. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.